Today on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, thankfully, we get to do the week in sports cars. I'm Marshall Pruitt. This podcast, the week in sports cars, maybe it should be the the Graham Goodwin podcast. He's my co-pilot. He's my co-host. The anchor, the rock to my mushy brain nonsense. I tend to cover North American sports car racing. Graham definitely covers everything outside the U.S. and the U.S. sometimes. Between the two of us, he's the smarter, more accomplished one. I'm just the monkey who talks into the microphone. I haven't been able to do this for a couple of weeks, Graham. Uh, It has not sat well with me, but it's been my fault entirely. So, Graham, before we get into why we haven't been able to do the last couple of weeks, and then before we get into our listener-driven Q&A, Let's say thank you to the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA, and absolutely our good pals at Cooper Tires. <sighs> I'm glad we're here. I'm just sad we haven't been here for a little while. Uh, yeah, don't don't hit yourself too hard on this one. I mean, the Indy 500, of course, just gone. Uh, can I say, by the way, what an extraordinary job done by yourself and for that matter, everybody else covering that race, uh, it's, you know, I think the biggest race so far that has been there without uh, a live audience. And I don't think terribly many people um, felt they missed out on the detail from, from looking in on the web uh, for the Indy 500. So, you know, massive kudos to you, to the race.com team and to everybody else covering that race. I saw one complaint and only one. And that didn't come from a member of the public. It came from a member of the media. Ah, what a moron. Yeah, uh, that old <laughs> crank. Uh, but just to share with y'all, had a number of folks on the racer reporting team who have been taken uh, down by health problems, either directly or with family members or otherwise. So for the majority of August, uh, knowing that August holding the delayed Indy 500. Uh, No excuses here, just sharing the fact that uh, we know that this podcast, which we love doing, is something that has to fit in between our normal work obligations and duties. And frankly, the thing I have been tasked with doing up to, and just now finally today is the first day to take a real deep breath, is go 100% with Indy 500 and oval open wheel coverage and whatnot. So long story short with being very short staffed, knowing that I can do both American open wheel and sports cars from a need standpoint, those needs were placed squarely on, Hey, got to fill in since we have a shortened team. And that all of a sudden meant that things like doing sports car coverage, just the written content, even has been super light coming off of my keyboard and doing the podcast as well. So sincere apologies, just had to, out of necessity, put my uh, my time into a place that fed exactly what my clients were asking for, and that meant having to park the weekend sports cars for a couple of weeks. But now we are back, and thankfully as well, some of those who are having health problems are getting back to strength as well. So all positives there. Graham Goodwin, you are the official selector of our show. <laughs> the four categories that we use, IMSA, WEC, Aslam, Elms, ACO, General, and Fun. You are the man who selects where we start, where we go each week. 
if you haven't forgotten how to do it, uh, <laughs> where do we go I'll first? Go I'll give it. A, I'll give it a whirl. I'm gonna. We're gonna start this week with IMSA. What? Uh, lots to talk. Lots to talk about about sports car racing on the North American side of the massive puddle uh, that we have between the two of us. Um, um, and all sorts of things going on at the moment, uh, MP, including, and we've got a lot of questions about this, there's been further media coverage about an issue that you and I have talked about numerous times, specifically and more generally about the choices that IMSA might wish to make uh, in the very near future, and then specifically here about uh, LMP3. Now, you'll recall uh, you and I talked about an interview that we did for not the Week in Sports Cars, but inside the Sports Car Paddock with Zach Brown talking about LMP3, that new was LMP3. July, was it? Yeah. June, uh, it July? Was, it was, well, oddly enough, a bit of a deja vu moment. It was uh, The interview was done at Paul Ricard for the first round of the European Le Mans series. I'm about three hours north of Paul Ricard on my way down tomorrow morning um, because we're going back there for round three with Barcelona having been... Uh, replaced by a second go at Paul Ricard. So there's nothing new in the world of sports cars, uh, but it's fair to say that a little bit more media coverage has um, prompted further questions about whether or not this might be a realistic proposition. Let's get into them. Lance Snyder, Mike Drotlev, John McCarthy as well, um, Jacob Bame, hello Jacob, and Matt Niedert, uh, amongst others, Asking about uh, IMSA and LMP3, uh, is IMSA trying LMP3 cars in the WeatherTech? Um, well, it, Lance here saying the cars are not. Uh, the, it says with ours the cars are not designed. I suspect ours the cars are not designed for budgets will need to increase significantly. He thinks it's a really bad idea. Um, they've got Mike Drotlev saying about additional grid fillers. He thinks those cars should be better suited in the um, where they currently are in the Michelin Prototype Challenge. Uh, John McCarthy, uh, if this happens, what does the Prototype Challenge? Will that just dwindle away? Remember, before we get into this, by the way, we are talking here about the new breed of LMP3 cars, which would on rotation be coming to Prototype Challenge next year. Uh, not the current cars in Prototype Challenge. And then, Jacob, bit of a rant, he says, incoming. Ooh. That's our job, surely. That's not our job. Um, he's asking, really, why do they even consider the possibility of integrating P3s uh, in order that safe and reasonable, the whole performance window, our DPI or P3 would have to be entirely moved close together, uh, slows DPI to level speeds, blows up the integrity of ACO's prototype ladder. To give you an idea of the kind of speeds we're talking about here, um, we've got two races this weekend uh, coming, which would involve LMP3, the European Le Mans series, where the new cars will compete with LMP2 and with GTE, and they sit neatly in the middle. They are broadly at the moment about a second slower than the pre-2017 LMP2s, the new LMP3 cars. We've then got the um, LMP3s in the Michelin Le Mans Cup, where they compete against GT3 cars. And a well-driven LMP3 is quicker than a GT3 car. Uh, LMP3 is quicker than a GT3 car. A um, LMP3 car being driven by a startup gentleman driver will find itself under pressure and at times being overtaken by a professionally driven GT3 car. So that gives you an idea of where it sort of sits in the orbit. Um, what do you think, MP? But, well, what do you think about the idea, and what do you think as well 
um, of where IMSA might sit on this as being, well, what I understand is one of a range of possibilities they might be looking at. Yes, and if you hear the police coming is that, by... Is that, is, is that IMSA coming, coming to find us? Well, not us. It, the idea of LMP3 cars <laughs> being integrated into the WeatherTech Championship. Yes, they're coming to arrest whomever came up with that concept. Let me try and answer the question-ish of will it happen, could it happen first. Could happen, yes. Any stories or reports that you might have read, dear listeners, in recent days saying that it's being looked at, that is accurate. I will, without getting too deep into how I know that, can say I've asked and I've been told, no, it is not a done deal. No, it is not a completely dismissed idea. It, among many things, possibilities, changes, additions, subtractions, whatever, a lot of things being thought about for next year. This is one of the many. So I think that context will hopefully help Graham. This is not a, hey, IMSA's got their four classes and they're thinking about integrating P3 into it. And that idea is somewhat in isolation. They're not looking at any other changes, anything else. This is right. Cause that would give the impression that this is some sort of heavy momentum fixation boy they're going to do it type deal that from my clear understanding is not the case it's one of many things being considered and so this topic while being presented as an option which is totally accurate is not a standalone thing which would lead us to maybe believe oh boy this if it's this is the one big thing they're thinking about. Well, then this must really be uh, a high probability. I know that there are some practical issues to consider, which a number of our listeners have listed in their questions here. The first time that I started talking about this seriously with people was a few weeks ago. And I have to raise my hand. I won't name the person. It's a mutual friend of ours who has sent me multiple texts, and I, I, I should probably go back and look at the first one, but it was probably sometime around mid to late July. Hey, what are you hearing about P3 being allowed in, integrated, something, part-time, full-time, who knows, uh, into the WeatherTech Championship? And I just kind of forgot to chase it down. And then he sent me another one. Hey, <laughs> uh, remember how you said you're going to kind of look into that thing and see if you get a little bit of direction. Uh, just a little quiet knock, knock reminder. And then funnily enough, I got another one. I don't know. It might've been end of last week over the weekend, whatever it was. And it was just the most polite idiot. How many times <laughs> do I have to ask you? to just give me a little something on this. And so I apologize because, yeah, uh, yeah, dumb, dumb, dummyosity on me here. There's a new one to add to the Twictionary. Uh, as I understand it, looking at the fact that car counts can be somewhat light depending on the event, I would say that this could certainly be a consideration. 
But if we are talking the GT only events, of which IMSA holds two per year with the WeatherTech Championship, then maybe that's a scenario where it could work. So, Graham, looking at last weekend's race at the delightful Virginia International Raceway, we had the GT Le Mans pole. It was a one-minute 40.3. The GT Daytona pole, I believe, was about a 145-ish point two. So, uh, again, I could be wrong. I always throw out that caveat because I'm more often wrong than right. But there's you know roughly a five-second difference at VIR between IMSA's full pro GT class and Pro-Am GTD class. The fastest-ish LMP3 lap times that I seem to recall fell somewhere around the middle, 142 or so, Graham. And that would suggest that those cars can, in theory, play and, in theory, co-mingle with IMSA's two WeatherTech GT classes but I would not want to see them out there with LMP2s and DPIs for sure because I think we would have some very serious problems here to consider knowing that we're talking Pro-Am in LMP3, but we are talking the true roots and origins of Pro-Am. We're not talking in most instances where the Pro in LMP3 is some sort of heavy hitter, you know, super sports car champion, big name assassin. We're talking younger, often younger open wheel drivers who have not had their career go as planned and they can find something here to be the pro and the coach in LMP3. And then Graham often the AM in LMP3 is a true quadruple am really we are learning 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 a lot of the basics in this class i don't like the idea of there being such a disparity in experience both in the pros and the ams in lmp3 being thrust among nick tandy oliver gavin bill oberlin tony vlander you know run down the list even the super high-quality AMs in the GT classes. Uh, so I don't love the idea of this blending from a on-track aptitude standpoint. The other thing, which, again, depending on the ambition, Graham, of what this LMP3 integration might look like, another point which has just been raised over and over and over again is, yes, at the... LMP3 championship at the IMSA prototype challenge budget and calendar level. It can be afforded. There's what 15 ish. I think cars that turned up for the race at, uh, at VIR. Uh, I mean, that's a good number, right? That's a, that's a healthy number. I don't know if I would call that a crazy number, right? Yeah. 15 cars, uh, turned up for the race. That's good. It's not overwhelming. So we have 15 cars. You look at the possibility of turning on pro racing 
in the WeatherTech Championship, all of a sudden budgets turn into insane land. That's the thing that scares me actually more than any other. We have something that's working, but again, the car count, while good, isn't so big that it could suffer a setback. This could very easily become 12 or 9 or 8 or 7, if not less, if the budget's to do a six, seven, who knows how many WeatherTech Championship, uh, call it sprint race type season, were permitted. Also have to ask, well, then what happens to the class as a standalone training category, right? Where we, in a relatively protected environment, just among ourselves, with P3 car versus P3 car, we can learn. We can make these mistakes. We can do a lot of these things, uh, say, not in the spotlight, not getting in the way of a Joao Barbosa on maximum attack in his JDC Cadillac DPI or name whomever, just full assassin mode. I, you want to talk about people potentially saying, yeah, that was fun and I really enjoyed it for what it was when we were our own standalone thing. But now that we're being bumped up here, uh, this maybe isn't as fun. And, oh, my God, I'm spending most of my laps looking in the mirror and just trying not to get nerfed out of the way or hated on by all the pro drivers. And it's costing way more than it did when we were just standalone. You know, it's a lot of different machinations, Graham, of what it could look like, how they might do it. I just can't find very many that make my heart settle from a on-track quality and competition and safety standpoint and also from a budgetary safety standpoint without this potentially spike in the class. And we come back, and by the end of 2021, uh, there's not many left running. And or folks just say, well, you know what would happen (laughs) because they do it with everything else. There'd be a World Challenge LMP3 class. Um, SRO America's LMP3 as the place for cast-off, unhappy uh, IMSA P3 owners and drivers to go. So I just can't find the thing here that says, oh, yeah, that's the reason to do it, and even if it goes wrong, it was worth the experiment. Cannot find a single thing. So I hope this does not happen. Another question that uh, has taken the interest of a couple of our listeners, John Richter and Sean Crockett, both asking... Um, about uh, Acura and their DPI plans in 2021. Any update on the plans? Uh, One NBC commentator, says John, implied knowledge of Juan Pablo Montoya being involved, plus an Indy 500 ride next season. Sean says, uh, perhaps it's even more interesting who's Penske going to pair up with for the future, perhaps to create a new LMTH, could they be stepping into Rebellion's place to partner Peugeot with a Le Mans hypercar, also help them into the US domestic market. That is what I would happily say is a stretch. And by the way, look out for a bit of uh, news on that front, or at least one of those fronts, in the next couple of days. To my knowledge... Our good pal, Mr. Montoya, who I spoke with very briefly about two weeks ago, was in Europe in the middle of something, said, hey, I'll call you right back. Whenever he says that, you know he's not calling back. Uh, So I still need to chase down uh, our favorite, it is what it is, speaker of words, 
I have only heard about JPM being considered as an endurance driver in the 2021 and beyond Acura DPI program. Have not heard anything to say a deal has been signed. I am not 100% sure if there would be an Indy 500 seat attached to that. Uh, I love those ideas. I have not heard anything from my sources to say that that would be a credible possibility. Could that evolve and change? Sure. Uh, Speaking out loud and no disrespect to Mr. Montoya, Honda's not exactly lacking depth and quality in its Indy 500 roster, in its IndyCar roster. And so while Mr. Montoya, as a two-time Indy 500 winner, credentials perfectly clear, one of the best, simply amazing. It's been many years, though, since he competed in the Indy 500. And knowing that I speak with many IndyCar team owners on a weekly basis and more often than not on things that are well off the record and between us, I've never heard Juan's name mentioned uh, as a, oh, we got to get him back to the 500. I would love for that to happen, Graham. I think it'd be amazing, and I think he'd be a threat. But just saying of the names that I hear attached to, we're going to do a sports car program, and then he could also have an Indy 500 angle, that's one that I would like to say I have heard from folks who know, and I do speak with folks who know. I haven't heard that one. So what I believe is still going to be the case is we are going to, well, I know that there is one plan that involved announcing next year's Acura DPI roster in terms of teams. Not sure if drivers would be named fully at that point, but have heard there is a plan that involves doing this and making this announcement at Mid-Ohio. IMSA's stop at Mid-Ohio, excuse me, uh, coming up here next month. I have also heard a competing concept a little bit more recently about why don't we just wait till the end of the year uh, or much closer to the end of the year before we start getting into announcing who's doing what because there could very well, Graham, be some changes within the current DPI family uh, of manufacturers and relationships and knowing that the Acura Sports Car Challenge at Mid-Ohio, boy, it'd be funny to announce Acura's future plans there. Wonder why that's on the list of possibilities, Graham. Um, (laughs) Scheduled for the 27th of September. That's normally the end-ish of the season instead uh there's what four races following that right now uh going through the middle of november so could we see one team possibly announced at mid ohio at the end of september and maybe the other later in the season if not just after the end of the season i think that could be another possibility as well so it's coming it's happening who are the teams that have been mentioned most frequently one of them is obvious to the point of don't even bother asking him because there's no need. Uh, and that's Michael Shank racing. So did I just say they're going to be an accurate team? No, I didn't. Of course not. 
no one's ever, no one would imagine such a thing at all. Um, that's, again, in the category of worst kept rumor for a while, right? This isn't something that just popped up. This is something that I think we've been expecting, if not mentioning on the show, Graham, since about 2018. So, yep. yeah, uh, just saying, if you were to prepare a congratulatory tweet or whatever for that team about this move back to prototype, uh, I'd say you wouldn't be wasting keystrokes, uh, wouldn't be wasting your thumbs if you were to prepare that tweet to send, you know, uh, in the next month or two. As for the other team, there's plenty of speculation about who it's going to be. As I understand, there is not a second team signed. I know that I have heard, could Yost be getting back involved? Could Wayne Taylor move over? Could there be a JDC? And I mean, obviously all of the, the big, uh, even smallish DPI teams. Uh, the only one I haven't heard about possibly moving over is Mazda. So uh, slower <laughs> odds, slower, slightly lesser odds on Mazda taking over the Acura program. They're about the only ones that haven't been mentioned. I, I'm just sharing rumors um, of what I've heard. Could we hear about an IndyCar team that is not presently in IMSA stepping in to run one of the Acuras? Yes, I've heard about, You know, I believe I've heard every Honda-powered IndyCar team except for Dale Coyne being mentioned as a candidate to run one of the ARX-05 DPIs. I have heard about Core Autosport being mentioned as a candidate for that. Um, I'm just scrolling through the other list of entrants here. Uh, of I know there's at least one other I've heard um, that could. So, yeah, do we think we could kind of get that Michael Shank congratulations tweet tuned up and ready? Yes. The second one, I got a pretty good idea who it's going to be. But I am, again, as of last word, nobody has been signed to that second entry. I think we're going to, I think I could probably write that congratulatory tweet for the second team and feel pretty confident I got it right. But I even then, Graham, I'm not fully confident uh, to put a finer point on it yet. Fair point. Let's move on. And we've actually got, oddly enough, a couple of questions that revolve around Whisperit NASCAR. Tim Glass, I know, Tim Glass says, have you thought any thoughts on Earl Bamber's aeronautical activities at Daytona, knowing what you know about NASCAR road racing, which current IMSA, WEC, SRO driver or drivers do you think would be best suited for the current generation of stock car? Uh, I would have to go with Andy Lally because he's proven that he is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that guy's just, but again, we know he's such a brutal, brutal all-around talent. It's not a surprise. The fact that he did a, what, a full season or more of NASCAR driving. He was the, mm-hmm. the was it 2011 uh, NASCAR Cup Rookie of the Year. Uh, I mean, that guy, again, he's amazing. I believe it or not, watched the vast majority of that NASCAR Xfinity road course race just simply to cheer on Bamber. And 
is kind of typical Earl, right? Doing so well and then just got a little greedy. And greed sometimes uh, is not good old easy Earl's greed, best friend. I thought I thought greed was good. Was that just well, a quote? Well, but see, he's not American. Uh, so if he was American and had that dark-hearted approach to the world, then maybe he'd be better at it. Better, better practiced, we should say. Well-practiced. Uh, I'd say Earl, honestly, the, from what he showed, zero practice, zero laps in the car, and just really, truly impressive for what he did. Made a giant mistake, totally unnecessary. I don't think he would make the same mistake again, but... Uh, I'm all about curiosity, Graham, and we didn't. We expected Earl to do well, but who knows how well. The guy was a monster and clearly driving for a team that, while good, the Richard Childress Racing Xfinity team, not one that is considered a front runner in that category. So naturally, he was not able to chase down the leaders. But I'll tell you, if he were to go back and do a second race there in a car entered by one of the leading teams. I think we are seriously talking about Earl Bamber going for victory. And so I love that. And I'd love to see him do more of it. Nick Tandy, obviously is the other one who wants to see get involved. He doesn't want to do road racing though. He wants to do the oval stuff, but he does the cool thing. Tim is with this next generation cup type car, whatever the hell they call it. I think it's just going to be even closer terms of feel to what the finer IMSA WEC SRO, whatever drivers are accustomed to in their GTLM or GTD GT3 type entries. So I can only imagine we're going to see more Earl Bamber type crossovers uh, for the teams that have the ability to say, yep, we're going to throw in a a road course ringer for this event. Um, I think the, the separation in, in driving types and feel and all that, I think it's just going to get even more narrow. And so, yeah, could be cool to see uh, some more of our friends going and playing. Who would you like to see? Not from IMSA. Let's have Graham pick a WEC driver. You'd like to see do a NASCAR Cup or Xfinity road road course race. A road course race. That's a good question. I think, you know, we've got a number of extreme, I mean, Nikki team. I think absolutely. I'd love to see Nicky team have a crack at it. I think that would be uh, very, very interesting indeed to see a fired up, young, talented GT driver uh, going at it. Uh, I think the GT uh, area is probably where you're looking for the kind of transferable skill set here rather than the prototype side of things. Not a lot of aero. Um, so Nikki team certainly, I think would be would be one. Jimmy Bruni, oh. uh, uh, Jimmy, now uh, Jimmy, you know, <sighs> I'll say it out loud. Has Jimmy seen his best years? Possibly, but on his day, still an absolutely awesome talent. Absolutely awesome talent. Fred McAvicky the same. Uh, but no, I think Nikki team. Nikki team is the one. I think I would pluck out of that little lot beyond that you then look to the factory blessed gt3 drivers marcello um i think would be uh, a good pick amongst those you'd be looking for somebody with a bit of 
sympathy for the car, but but real raw regression. Um, I'll I tell you what I'd like to see. And it's the same. I had a conversation some years ago with our friend Richard Crail about the Bathurst 12 hours, about an exchange between GT specialists and supercar specialists for the Bathurst 12 hour. Now, wouldn't that be cool? Um, a back-to-back race featuring GT cars with NASCAR drivers and NASCARs with GT drivers. That, I think, would be something as a back-to-back event in, in a time when I do believe that motorsport has got to be radical right now. I think that kind of event could be something that, that genuinely do, just does draw some interest from manufacturers, some interest from uh, a paying audience, and some interest from TV. Um, and... You know, let's hope if it happens stateside, they can do it uh, without quite so many ads, as I gather you are all suffering for the Indy 500. I can tell you what stuff to buy having watched Indy 500. <laughs> I'm not sure I can actually report much on the race, sadly. Uh, what do we have? One or two more for IMSA, and then let's d- maybe dive into uh, your area of expertise. Okay, let's go with Steve Grinstead. On a drive to work, he says, but uh, what they were a week for him, he saw three BMW uh, uh, Ray Hall uh, transporters heading to VIR. Is that the, sh- the usual amount, or is it just pandemic and needing more space to work? I well, think three haulers for the car effort is about right. Yeah, so it's not uncommon for teams to dedicate one transporter per entry. So that's not uncommon at all. Uh, if anything, that's standard. And then with a manufacturer-based program like this, Steve, also not uncommon to have a third dedicated transporter that is both significant spares uh, store and also engineering management uh, oversight as well. So what you tend to get is the 24 car will have its number 24 trailer. It will have all the specific items needed for that car. It will have possibly a driver's lounge up top dedicated for the drivers in that entry. Same with the number 25 M8 GTE in its own transporter. And then that third would be the one where you have engineers meeting, you have management meeting, and then you have pretty much all the the universal items needed across both cars in terms of spares. It's often a place where you see the crew uh, getting suited up uh, for the race and putting their equipment on and having that stuff held. Um, So, yeah, each team does things a little bit differently. Uh, There are some that try and fire both cars into one transporter and then use the second one for kind of that universal uh, aspect as well. But... Definitely when we're talking manufacturer-based stuff, be it GT or prototype, if it's a two-car team, it's pretty normal to see three transporters supporting it. Also know that we have a question here from our pal Matt Anderson, who is a fine crafter of words. His question, Ooh. 143 of them. Uh, I'll just grab this quickly. <laughs> it says, piggybacking uh, on the last conversation about NASCAR Cup cars and IMSA, uh, the Kelly Girl AAC class in the 80s had NASCAR-style chassis. Yes, they certainly did. Um, with NASCAR's next-generation car coming in 2022, what about an out-of-the-box idea for sharing a platform in the future once 
GTLM goes away. Make GT3 the new pro GTLM style class. And NASCAR's upcoming cup cars then the new GTD class. Love the idea here, Matt. Don't know if it would fly, but I think it would be pretty cool if this was a invitational thing for the NASCAR cup stuff. If we were talking, hey, Rolex 24, Mobile One, 12 hours of Sebring, six hours sailing, six hours of the Glen, Petit Le Mans, O'Toole, Petit Le Mans. Did I get all the sponsor names in there, even though they have nothing to do with the show? <laughs> um, I think it might be fun to think along those lines uh, just to allow cup teams to come and play. Or, again, I don't know what the, the base cost is for these upcoming next-gen cup cars. But who knows? Maybe they might not be too. They might be more cost friendly than uh, anything else you might buy uh, in the WeatherTech Championship classes. So I think there could be some fun there. I've heard a rumor that we might have a Cup car running Graham in the Rolex Twenty Four as a kind of a showcase of the new next gen thing. Uh, heard that? Really? From, yeah, heard that from a, a Cup reporter friend. So was, it, is that, was that linked into the fact that a new next-gen car did test with Action Express uh, the last couple of weeks? I've also heard something about that next-gen car having a hybrid-ish type something in it, maybe. And Ooh. that being, uh, again, who knows? So just a rumor. Could be just out of nowhere. Someone drunk at a bar making it up. Um, I'd say it was me, but I haven't been to a bar or been drunk and I'm not a NASCAR cup reporter. So I guess those other than those three things, it might've been me making that up, but I did hear that from a cup reporter friend that, uh, someone somewhere had heard something about, you know, could, could there be a cup car running as a bit of a showcase, uh, at Daytona at the Rolex 24. I don't know if it's so much for IMSA fans, but maybe to, uh, show the NASCAR world. Uh, so again, who knows, but I think it's a fascinating idea, Matt. What are we talking about here? Probably first and foremost, what's the underlying concept that we're having to really honor when we're talking about could LMP3 be brought in? Could this, could that? It's money. It's the budget to run. It's the no class in the WeatherTech championship is thriving numerically not saying that things are bad but six gtlm cars that's a concern that's not going to improve anytime soon uh what did we have for vir last weekend graham was it 12 or 13 gtd cars so Uh, that's certainly good right i mean that there's no negative there we've certainly seen that number in a higher place though uh, yep. so boy, that would not be the worst, uh, worst thing in the world to consider. Yeah. Uh, 14, 14 GT Daytonas slash GT three cars. So a very positive thing without those 14 IMSAs in a pretty bad way with three to maybe five LMP two cars, uh, at some rounds. And six GTLMs and what eight ish DPIs. So, yeah, what we're looking at is in IMSA's four classes, three of them at basically every round. Again, I'll go look back at Daytona. Maybe there was 
more than nine entries there, but three of the four WeatherTech Championship classes have single-digit entries. And mm. our cat Rocky is currently meowing in, in disagreement for those lower numbers. So this is the thing we're getting at, Matt. This is the thing, Graham, that our, our listeners are asking in a variety of ways with some of the things that are being considered. Could this NASCAR chassis rebodied with some arrow on it so it can play in the corners as well as the straights uh, and, and not be fumbling around against real purebred GT cars? Could that be a way to go, provided the costs uh, are low enough to really make it viable? I'd say so. And I know it's it's a silly, stupid thing probably to suggest. NASCAR Cup cars in IMSA's WeatherTech Championship and multiples of them. If that's what it takes, four classes, three of them single digit, if this is something to consider costs are friendly-ish to do it graham cars are developed in an imsa type direction where they have the performance capabilities to play among the gt cars and you know really be in a a proper place of handling and braking and everything on road courses and you can do that at a lower dollar like a significantly lower dollar figure I'm all for it, and it's not because I'm a fan of NASCAR. It's because whatever it's going to be that IMSA can do, where they're going to have growth with classes at a time where the dollars, the money to play in the WeatherTech Championship is just it's getting tougher and tougher to find those dollars each year. An idea like Matt's here, it's not crazy. It might actually be the most brilliant thing of all. If that's the thing that gets IMSA back to a place where you go, whoa, look at the 15 cup cars, 20 cup cars, whatever it might be, from IMSA team owners that have bought them, plus also whatever handful of NASCAR team owners that have decided to come play and do this as well. Um, It stands out as a much better proposition right now than LMP3 if the current Pro-Am model and LMP3 were maintained. If you were to remove that stricture and allow P3 cars to be pro-pro, you know, or weather tech level pro-am, um, you know, maybe that's an option there. They're still going to be expensive to run. But uh, something lateral, lateral thinking like this that marries NASCAR and IMSA, since NASCAR owns IMSA, uh, in one class, that's maybe, that's maybe a, a departure in thinking that should be explored mucho farther or oh. And speaking of farther or oh, I think we've gone about as far as we can with IMSA. Where do we go next, our man, Graham Goodwin? Uh, mate, it's got to be to Weck Aslam's Echo. Sorry, Elms and Echo. Why do I miss Elms? I'm on my way there. Weck Aslam's Elms and Echo. See, it has been a couple of weeks, hasn't it? Uh, let's have a crack at that because there is a heck of a lot going on in the world of ACO uh, racing right now. And I can see from just looking quickly down the list that our listeners have, well, laser-like uh, homed in on much of what's up for debate right now. What are you going to chuck at me? Well... Duck and dodge, they're coming fast Ooh. and furious like Dom Toretto. Uh, we're going to go to Ryan Terpstra. 
Oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. We've got blanks. Oh, my goodness. Well. <laughs> I think we've got our first question ever submitted with multiple, like a Mad Lib to fill in the blanks. Can you okay. answer all the questions I've forgotten to ask? First of all, the answer to that no. is yes. <laughs> now, okay. Uh, so you didn't ask any questions. You just asked if we could. Yes. Yes, we could. Uh, LM, LMDH is going to be on track in... 2023. 2023. Okay. And the LMP2 class. Uh, by the so, way, before, before, we, before we get, they'll definitely be there by uh, 2023. Whether or not any of them might be ready before that, we don't know yet. But 2023 is my guess. In the LMP2 chassis that serves as the foundation for those cars will be made by blank, blank, uh, blank, and blank. Orica, Le- Ligier, Delara, and Multimatic. Wow. Closes by saying, I've heard lots of rumors that a plan B will need to be developed. Uh, look, a plan B for literally everything right now in the current climate almost certainly will need to be developed. Let's hope we don't need it. There is a lot we don't know right now. We what, Things we do know, because we've been told these things, is not one single manufacturer that has been in the working groups that have been put together with IMSA and with the ACO about uh, LMDH. Not one single manufacturer has abandoned that process at this point. That is not the same as a formal evaluation. It is not the same as a program. But uh, what it does show is that the interest level is still there amongst the uh, professionals within those manufacturers that are responsible for formulating their plans for motorsports. Um, as has been said, I know, to you on the IMSA end, it's certainly been said to me multiple times by multiple people who absolutely would know, uh, the impetus right now is to get the, uh, the final regulations out. That will happen next month at the Le Mans 24 Hours, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, beyond that, I keep hearing variations on the same phrase, and I'm sure you could probably endorse this, Marshall, which is the market will decide. So right now is absolutely not the time for um, race championship organizers to pressurize their value colleagues and manufacturers to force them to a position where they have to go to ask their board for that budget in a timescale which they would not choose to do. Right now is the time to allow those people within those manufacturers to find the right moment to do that. Uh, That's what they mean by the market will decide. Walking in at a point where those boards are having to countenance shutting down um, manufacturing uh, capacity, laying off workers, is not the right time to go to ask for 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars, euros, insert the name of your favorite currency. Um, however, there is certainly a feeling amongst those motorsport professionals, and I've spoken to a number of them, um, that in a process of recovery, of trying to actually just, you know, pull the tattered, battered, flame-scarred uh, battle ensign back up the flagpole outside the uh, company HQ, that the... Uh, the upsides of what's being offered with LMDH, the global nature of that, the opportunity to compete in multiple championships, the opportunity to have a customer base at the kind of price point for those cars 
is something that has got a lot of people thinking about the possibilities. So the answer at the moment is this. Could it happen in 22? It could. I don't think it will. 23, uh, I think, is a more realistic proposition. Uh, but for that to happen, we're going to have to start hearing fairly soon about multiple manufacturers uh, showing more than just interest, but getting involved in a formal uh, evaluation of that. We know about Porsche. We know as well about a number of other manufacturers who've been involved in the process. We've been around the houses, is it now 15 or 16 or 27 times um, with the uh, the Ferrari uh, issue seems to me that if Ferrari are going to do it, by the way, they're going to have to get down the hypercar route because I do not see um, the uh, IMSA and ACO allowing Ferraris to drive a coach and horses through the LMDH regulations uh, without leaving it wide open for literally every other manufacturer to say exactly the same. So if Ferrari are going to come, it'll have to be with some kind of hypercar base, which means they can develop their own chassis, which is the is the major point. There, there are headlines to come on hypercar, by the way, and soon, and of a pretty good nature, I think it's fair to say. Uh, so I've been sitting on a couple of things for uh, a week or two or three. Um, so I'm pulling some of those strands together for something I'm hoping to uh, chuck the way of Delhi Sports Car and Racer.com in the next um couple of three days so watch uh, all our competitors now panic that i've said that and uh, those stories will be up on other websites within the next 24 hours um tongue removed from cheek lmdh still very positive a lot depends at the moment on just what state the industry emerges from the current ongoing and as yet without a firm end date in hand crisis going to move to a topic graham of which there were numerous submissions we'll just take one gents cracking open of this door it is frankly the engine of the weekend sports cars podcast daniel summerskill uh this week he was kind enough to relent so not every question was his um, thanks Dan. but we did have there's anxiety raising yeah. Graham over one thing, and that is 24 hours of Le Mans inching ever closer to happening, which means when it does happen, there will be English language commentary on the yep. television broadcast. And we know for sure that although dumpster fires were, I believe, first created and we are the patents and right holders in the u.s for dumpster fires we know <laughs> for sure that dumpster fires travel each year when it comes time for the 24 hours of le mans to have english commentary on the tv pictures that are sent to the world not everybody involved in that should be savaged for sure but Daniel opens his question of, with under a month to go to the great race, is there any any information on whether the commentary will be done from the circuit or elsewhere? Yep. Uh, will this world feed be available on TV, or do TV viewers have to make do with the cringeworthy Eurosport commentary again? So could okay. you crack that open on differences in feed yeah, yeah. and whether the hate 
24 hours of hate tweeting at Eurosport <laughs> will be, frankly, our beloved international drinking game. Right. Okay. I can answer some parts of this uh, right now. Um, and there's other parts that I'm awaiting the answers myself. I can tell you the World Feed crew will be at Le Mans. Uh, that much I know because I've got my marching orders. I will be part of that crew uh, for the second consecutive year. Delighted to be part of that crew. Um, and I'm aware of some of the the details at the moment uh, that we put put in place, but without that having been made public, not quite ready to say that publicly yet. So, yes, I will be at Le Mans with the um, Le Mans TV, WC TV crew. That means that uh, Martin Haven, myself, Alan McNish and Duncan Vincent uh, will be uh, part of that crew. Um, and if you missed uh, the um, the SPA WEC coverage, uh, I can now tell you something which has not been made public until uh, we went to air as to why we're not seeing um, Louise Beckett as part of the team at this point. That is because Louise is expecting a very happy addition to the Beckett household. Um, so about that, that's uh, that's for Louise now to discuss. But that's that's answer by the way to the unanswered question, unanswered question here, but a question that's been asked elsewhere. Why no Louise? That's why. Has okay. she said this by the way publicly? I hope. Uh, Martin Haven said it on her behalf at Spa. Beautiful. So, so there you go. Which is wonderful news. Louise is an absolutely lovely individual and very good at what she does on that pit lane. Duncan Vincent, yeah. sadly a Scottish, you know, yeah. you know, sadly Scottish is another Scot. Uh, but no, look, Duncan's great and, and it's a happy team and we're going to crack on with it. I am waiting for other parts of the package that we will be presenting to be made clear to us. Um, I can tell you that we're being asked to be on site from the very start of track action. I hope that means that we'll be presenting as much of the action as possible to the viewing public. As for where the world feed will be available, that much I don't yet know. I'd just say this. If you don't like what's being offered on the alternative, I will not get into criticising other coverage for two reasons. One is it's not very professional of me. And two is... I don't watch it because I'm too busy to do my own job. I do it. Straight answer. I do it. I'm not professional because I have to. It's all I really have. So I'm perfectly happy. Yeah. Can you? So, so number one, you can still get the app, can't you? Albeit it's a pay service. I would say yes, that is possible. I would say that uh, this is certainly a year where we're. I've trimmed just about every non-mandatory expense from our budgets just in the midst of i I think most people have done that so uh since i am not having to cover the 24 hours of lamar this year uh this is something where coming out of pocket for the quality product behind the paywall there this is something that I will indeed skip. That does leave me with just the financial realities of getting to hate tweet uh, with Eurosports <laughs> coverage. Now, uh, I'm just, you know, I would say that young Mr. Cole, uh, as I'm looking at our cat Rosie, who has hung herself up on the uh, blinds, 
uh, right hopefully, now, doing hopefully, very... Hopefully, hopefully by the pause and no other uh, area of anatomy. Yeah, well, yes. So, young, young Mr. Cole, who, uh, at least in recent years, I seem to recall, has been tasked with leading the coverage, often with a certain Dane we are fond of in their booth overlooking the uh, Fort Chicanes. I have plenty of time for young Mr. Cole, obviously for Mr. Christensen. Uh, if they were on for the whole 24 hours, I think we would have nothing to say. Sadly, they're not. So we do. So, yeah, I, at this point, and maybe I'll just close this topic here. It's gone from outrage at the terrible overall quality of the entire product when they go away from that booth to what I hope might just be in a year that has been a nonstop dumpster, global dumpster fire. I'm hoping that maybe this could actually turn into some fun and mirth and humor. Um, I cannot wait to see the memes that our man Andrew Baca comes up with. Uh, he is a savage with that stuff during 24 hour races. So maybe this is just going to be a global tune in and laugh for well, the Eurosport coverage. Maybe I can help lead that too. I'm, I'm going to give you just one little thing, which is why I'm being a little careful with my words. I have not been told, okay, I have not been told exactly what we're going to be broadcasting and how we're going to be broadcasting it. I've been given some details about who is going to be working with who, but that is for them to announce. What has been said to me, and it's been said to me by none other than Pierre Fion, was quite tantalizing, which is... There were two things. One is that they learnt a lot from the way in which they presented the virtual Le Mans uh, race um, back in, in June and were very happy indeed about the response that got from a viewing public. I have the feeling that um, they're working on something a little different for world feed and or uh, another digital offer for this season. Um, I think it's also fair to say that the viewers' irritation with certain aspects of certain broadcasting packages is shared within the family. And we'll wait and see, hashtag wait and see, what they actually finally come up with. Things are happening very quickly right now. I've, I've had a, a flurry of emails uh, with various um, plans and logistics uh, to go there. So the, the other thing to make clear, by the way, is I know that we're we're going to be there for World Feed. I have no idea whether or not other broadcasters, any other broadcasters, are going to be there. I can tell you as well that at the moment, uh, as I sit and talk into this here microphone, um, on the media front, it will be a relatively tiny number of media uh, compared to a regular uh, year at Le Mans. Way, way less than 10%. Okay. Um, we are talking barely into three figures across both the written word and pictures. And there are a lot of very anxious professionals right now waiting to see whether or not they're going to get a yes or a no before finalizing their travel plans. I know that the no's are beginning to reach um, ears and inboxes. I've not heard of a single yes, but we've been told that will happen um, by the end of this week. As far as we're concerned for the plans that we've got for 
uh, both for Delhi Sports Car and in my team's uh, support, ongoing support for race.com. We have a plan in place that does not rely on the entire team being at the Le Mans 24 hours on site. And there's some good reasons why it might be a good idea not to be uh, this year. Um, so lots of things still to come together. There are a lot of fine people working very, very hard to make this as engaging and as fulfilling a an experience as you possibly can, bearing in mind the blindingly obvious restriction that you can't go to the race. Um, that's a source of sorrow to absolutely everybody. OK, there is not one person that I know that, you know, is glorying in the fact that they might be there in a professional capacity and that you, dear listeners, won't be. I'm, I'm certainly not. It will take a vast amount away from that, that event for, for me and my enjoyment in that race. All I can say is that there will be a lot of professionals working very hard to try to give you the kind of level of depth of coverage and enthusiasm about what's going to unfold uh, yeah, as much as we possibly can in the circumstances. There we go. If you guys have any ideas on how we might have a delightful euro sport hate tweet lamar convention let me know i'm there whatever you need count me in i will bring the snacks uh hey got a question from a new listener graham oh daniel summersgill sends oh, in a is, that the, is, that, is that the same daniel summersgill or is it a new daniel summersgill no because the first one his last name was spelled with two m's and two l's yeah. And this yep. Daniel Summersgill, three M's and three L's. Oh, that's fine. So very, that's okay. very different guy. Clearly not the same guy. No. He says, with the almost complete entry list for the 2020 Le Mans event now released, are there any drivers you're surprised that are missing this year? Hashtag me personally. I'm surprised Patrick Long. Tracy Crone are absent. And how long is it since neither driver was at Le Mans? So what says you about um, surprises? Right. So, okay. For, as far as Trace is concerned, um, now let me get this right. He's he the official starter, isn't he? Year, yeah, <laughs> he appeared every year from 2006 to 2019. Uh, well, in fact, they didn't race, did they, in 2019 because he had the shunt in practice on the Mulsan Strait. Raced and I 13 think, years in a row in, I believe, yeah. 16 different cars. Based or maybe oh, yeah. seventeen, <laughs> based on the amount that he that destroyed in practice and qualifying. That's absolutely right. I, I hope that Tracy. I hope he has, is going to stop. Um, I think Tracy knows that his best years at Le Mans are long behind him, um, and I I hope he can take pleasure in the memories that he's got from that race. Um, so that's that. Pat Long was a what I would describe as a placeholder for Proton Competition. But let's not forget this is a massively important part of the commercial uh, package for any professional motorsports team. And never more so than this year when they'll be earning a lot less. So the chances of some of those cars being all am are dramatically increased this year. Uh, if that means that, that Pat Long doesn't make it to Le Mans, it will be a source of regret to everybody that likes fine professionals that, that answer questions beautifully 
and do so with a smile on their face. It'll be a source of sorrow to all of us. But neither will it be a surprise this year. Okay, so all sorts of stuff is happening at the moment in terms of that entry list. I think there will be some more changes before we finally get uh, to the race. I've had some fantastic conversations over uh, the last few days with some fabulous people, um, most particularly with uh, a young man uh, I was introduced to. Um, actually, oddly enough, for the second time, I'd met him once before the Nürburgring 24 hours, but a man that is going to smash a record and is going to be, you talked about hate um, stuff around Eurosport. Mark Patterson is going to hate this man till the day he dies because Don Bastian will become the oldest ever starting driver at the Le Mans 24 hours at the age of 74 years old. Wow. what a lo- I mean, a lovely man, born in Normandy, um, uh, has lived in the United States as a U.S. citizen uh, since his late teens, made his fortune there, uh, got into racing uh, through the Skip Barber School, where bizarrely he was a classmate of Mark Patterson uh, back in the day. Mark, uh, for those that don't know the story, was due to become the oldest ever starter at Le Mans this year at the age of 68 years and change. Okay, 68 years and 274 days. Dom blows that out of the water. And by an even more cruel irony, because of where Dom's birthday lies, because of where Mark's birthday lies, and because of where the Le Mans 24 Hours lies, I'm I'm 99% certain that I'm correct here, that... uh, Mark Patterson will not be able to break that record until 2027. It's a long way away. Uh, so it's it's just, from Mark's point of view, I do feel for him he is one of the nicest men in endurance racing. But it's a lovely record to be able to go and break. And Don Bastian uh, uh, landed in um, Europe this morning. I know he did because uh, he was trying to call his friend and colleague to come and pick him up from Charles de Gaulle, dialed the last number that was on his phone, which happened to be me, now to one o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah. So he now thinks that I think he's senile. I know that's not true. Uh, but that's a lovely part of it. There are going to be some surprises. There are going to be some names still to appear on the entry list, not least of which is I don't think Catherine Legg is going to make it in terms of her recovery from injury. Uh, Not expected, no. Uh, We should, though, say congratulations to young Miss Legg, who was given a little keepsake to wear around her ring finger. Was she? Having been asked to be a forever partner. So she uh, kindly accepted. And uh, yes, young Miss Legg uh, has been proposed to and done accepted so yes happy that's great happy for her i banged up broken bones uh that's real love right uh that that's pretty awesome for her so yeah and speaking with her recently she's still obviously going to try to make lamar but uh there's certainly uh there's a little bit more recovery there the the recovery sorry the uh, rumor that her part of her partner is tracy crone because he's already married that's wrong isn't it oh why did you do that to us the show is going so nicely goodwin what are you doing bad bad graham bad bad man bad man congratulations cat 
I mean, uh, congratulations, Andy, as well. That's that's fantastic news. I didn't know, and that's just great news. Um, I hope we're going to see Cat back in the driving seat as soon as possible. Um, we are definitely going to see Tatiana Calderon. It looks like Sophia Flesch uh, looks pretty much nailed in for Le Mans as well. And um, Betsky Avissa will be making her uh, second appearance in the Richard Beale racing car this weekend at uh, Paul Ricard. And my guess would be that the performance there will be uh, under some scrutiny to see whether or not they can nail down that third driver in that car. All sorts of things still up for grabs. There will be storylines to come in the in the weeks to come before we, um, as a, uh, a limited number of people, gather uh, in France uh, in mid-September. Watch this space on Daily Sports Car on Racer.com and we'll bring you as much of the detail as we possibly can as it emerges, with more potentially to emerge this weekend out of Paul Ricard. Beautiful. All right, let's go. Yes, yeah, speaking of entry lists, um, just coming back to the IMSA angle for this weekend's replacement for Watkins Glen being held at Road Atlanta, the uh, six-hour Watkins Glen race moved to the fine Brazelton, Georgia facility, eight cars in DPI Graham, three in LMP2, six in GTLM, 11 in GTD, so we're just on that cusp. Thankfully, uh, two extra cars or two cars in GTD make it uh, double digit, but yeah, precariously close to having all four categories with uh, single digit entries. So, uh, but that just landed in my inbox. Um, where are we going to go next? We're going to go to Tigera 380. I'm not sure if I remember mm. Tigera 380 from past no, questions. So you want to not. Thank you, Mr. or Mrs. Tigera. How has COVID-19 affected manufacturer interest in LMDH, Graham? Uh, have a number gone off the idea or a lot still pushing forward with ideas and plans? You know, that's, this that's, is, ex- it covers ex- IMSA the, uh, and WEC, yeah, right? I mean, that's the thing is, yeah, it's the quote American formula of the two prototype formulas, but they're wide open and allowed in your neck of the woods. I think I think the answer it's an expansion on the point we made a little earlier in the show, which is I think there has been some changes in terms of the format of that manufacturer interest. As we said earlier, everybody that was in the room discussing it is still in the room. It is not the same thing to say that they are the people that are going to make the decision. That is going to be a board level decision, and they're going to want to pick their moment for that. Um, I think there's been a, if anything, an increase in recent months in those manufacturers that see the potential for this being a customer racing uh, program, at least a program with a customer racing aspect. The answer right now today is there is no manufacturer that has been at the vanguard of this that is no longer interested whether or not that turns into one, three, five, seven manufacturers across IMSA and the FI World Insurance Championship coming into the field with an MDH car, we are going to have to be patient for. And by patient, I don't mean weeks. I mean many, many months uh, for that to emerge. Because it, the critical part of this is indeed, as has been made clear to me and to you by the likes of John Doonan, by PFE on by Gerard Nefo is it is not for them 
however influential they are in the sports, to force the hand of some very hard-pressed people in a very hard-pressed industry right now to force their hand on the timetable they put in place to make them go and make the one play they might get at this to at the moment, believe you me, uh, what globally are some very nervous board members indeed. Uh, Just, I mean, an hour before I came to record this show, not a brand that is likely to be in LMDH, but uh, the story coming out of the UK, hundreds of job losses at the mini plant part of the BMW empire as well. Mm. Uh, here, in, I was going to say here in the UK, I'm not here in the UK, but you know, that is, it's horrifying because there, there are therefore hundreds of individual bad news stories, but that's the new normal right now. Okay. There is not a substantial company in frankly, any, anything other than probably groceries right now that are not staring down the barrel of lots and lots and lots of job losses in the weeks and months to come. So we should be patient. I think we have reason at the moment to be hopeful um, with some of the other apples in the barrel in the automotive trade and in the motorsport world. It is still an attractive formula. It still has cards to play on the table when those manufacturers decide that it's time to put their head above the parapet and start, you know, saying, here we are and we want to stand out. Some good stories to come. Two more for Weck Aslam, Elms, Aco. Going to go to Jacob Bame. A little bit of calendar stuff here, Graham, we need to get into. Probably oh, yeah. should have thrown this stuff at you first, but, you know, I'm not good at my job. Uh, Jacob says, with eight hours of Bahrain moving on to a clashing date with 12 hours of Sebring uh, and a four-hour-plus hours of clashing runtime, how likely is it that drivers, say, a Felipe Albuquerque or Matt Campbell might be forced to miss their shot at a potential world championship because of their commitments in their respective teams in IMSA? He says, should we expect some one-offs being added to the Sebring crews uh, Dennis Olson may be sub for Matt Campbell in the GTL and Porsche, etc. I mean, this is the a little bit of a micro focus on the topic. Why don't we? Why don't you help Jacob with his questions, Graham? But also, okay. we got to park Ex- here for a explain. moment and talk about yeah, calendar stuff. Oh, yet again, Formula One wagging everyone else's tail. <sighs> yeah, but there is that part, and I'll I'll give them the um, how can I put this massive um ring pull opening of kind of shit that they deserve for this this lot but we we kind of flagged this up as being a likelihood many many weeks ago that there were going to be changes that those changes were likely to see clashes clashes of a major nature and um and this one is an absolute lulu so for those that aren't aware of what's happened uh, a change to an enhancement to the Formula One calendar, which will see back-to-back races in Bahrain, means that that claims the dates that would have been the eight hours of Bahrain, the um, the final race in the 2019-2020 FIA World Endurance Championship. The decision has been made to move that forward by a week, um, which means that, very unfortunately, that will sit, the first bit of bad news is, that will sit on the same date 
um, as the 12 Hours of Sebring, another race, of course, that's been delayed due to COVID-19. Uniquely this year, even more sadly and even more irritatingly, that is the final round of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. You then add into that 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 same weekend is also the final round of uh, SRO's GT World Challenge Europe. So rather bizarrely, we've ended up with a situation where three of, if not the um, leading uh, championships in the world for endurance racing in GT and in sports cars are all going to have their final race of the world's most bizarre season on the same weekend. And in the case of two of them, on the same day. Um, now, in any other circumstances, I would be screaming and banging my fists and saying it's an utter disgrace, etc., etc. Other than um, Formula One continuing to actually plough their own furrow to such a degree that, frankly, it is a bloody disgrace. Um, th- this is where uh, motorsport should be working as one and not as one having to follow on behind one other. It's completely stupid that they're allowed that level of freedom um, to behave in that way and leave other world championships, let's not forget, uh, for that is, of course, what the FI World Endurance Championship is, um, to have to make a choice that, trust me, had them in real anxiety, okay? I had conversations with a couple of people involved at a high level with the, the World Endurance Championship that day. And trust me, no one is smiling about this. And they're particularly not smiling, bearing in mind the current positivity between IMSA and the FIA World Endurance Championship and the ACO for that matter. Mm. I, I think, you know what? We're just going to have to swallow this one. We're just going to have to move on through and make the best of what is a a, a, a just farcical situation. In any other year, this would have probably the strongest editorial I would have ever written. And it probably would have got me fired from a job somewhere, frankly. Um, but the reality here is that's not the case in this instance. In this instance, um, they are the unwilling victims of someone else's choices, and we have to move on through. As for what that means in terms of the drivers concerned, uh, in very many cases, their choices will have been made clear in terms of what their priority programs are. In the case of the factory drivers, it's going to be really simple. Have they got a chance for a major manufacturer's title at one race or the other? If it's one race, they'll be racing there. It's as simple as that. The the, the, uh, manufacturers have have got a fine record of not giving a tuppence about, um, you know, whether or not a driver might bring home a cup that has his name engraved upon it against the possibility that a fine third place will secure the extra points they need to clinch a title that they can have engraved on the wall. Um, That is the reality for it. Will it mean that we see, well, frankly, a little bit of news around, which would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, Yeah, we will. We'll definitely see some, uh, some drivers doing races they probably weren't expecting to be doing 
uh, of that day. And I do hope that it does open up some possibilities for perhaps some of the younger uh, talents around to show off their talents to maybe some new audiences. So maybe we get to see one or two people in cars. Otherwise they wouldn't have been in other circumstances. Um, but they're the only winners. I'm afraid here. They're the only winners uh, in a situation that is otherwise just to be blunt, professionally bloody irritating. Isn't that the case? We're going to close Wackasm Elms Echo with Jacob Bame. Hey, it's Jacob Bame. Hey. Says with less than a month to go before the track action starts at Le Mans. I'm sure there are many people hyping themselves up with films and various publications about the race. And I happen to be one of them. Says what obscure documentaries or articles about the history of the great race can you recommend this year that are usually overshadowed by the classics as such maybe a truth in 24 being the high profile ones we know about what are some of the uh, the b-sides some of the uh, rare grooves that come to mind in terms of film or yep. reading we did a we did a series on this on DSC at the start of lockdown and we didn't finish it there was one i was going to do which is films that are not available online but have gone to dvd for instance two or three that i could mention that are well worth um a look uh, there are two films that were done in roll center racing's years in lmp racing at le mans um and I will dig out those titles because I can't immediately remember them uh, and make sure that that's posted on the Facebook group. But to have a look at those, Roll Center Racing, uh, there was one year, I think, with the Pescarolo and the other year was with the Radical. Um, and it involved you know, cameo appearances by you know, some very well-known uh, people in there. Very well produced, nicely done, and certainly well worth anybody's uh, attention the other one which absolutely is available on um youtube to view you might remember the actual title of this mp it was done with mclaren in 1995 and they followed the lanzanti car to victory uh, and featured other cars as well but it was uh, it was issued not to a very wide audience on uh, DV, uh, sorry, DVD on a VHS. I have that VHS somewhere uh, up in my loft. It's now available digitally through YouTube. It's something like In Pursuit of Perfection, something like that. Um, that is a fine piece of film television, um, and it's a great tale as well. They're amongst my favorites, I have to tell you. Um, but that's a great question from Jacob. Um, and that might just persuade me to resurrect that story um, as part of what we're hoping to present for Le Mans. As I said, we're working hard to do what we can to enhance the experience for people. I'll tell you right now, um, there is a vast array of historic feature coverage uh, ready to roll for Daily Sports Car. I'll be having a chat with our colleagues at Racer to see whether or not they want to play a sharing game on that for stateside audience. But it includes, for instance, some in-depth histories of some of the GT1 cars, LMP cars uh, involved in the great race. Uh, some much, much, much older 
stuff around some of the really historic uh, anniversaries that are kicking around uh, this year at Le Mans. And I hope we can add uh, an enhance uh, to Jacob and to other people's um, pleasure around what really should be a festival. It's a bit like the Indy 500 is at the month of May, that week in June um, for or in September in this instance uh, for the Le Mans 24 hours should really be a period of time where people who love motorsport uh, can just enjoy the opportunity to read things that otherwise would not be given um, the shelf space. So let's see what we can do to add a couple of bits and pieces. And Jacob, I'll drop your line and let you know when that's coming. I would love to see some additional curation of old DSC content. I know we only got a couple decades that we can go back to here, but I'd love to just see more pulled from the archives. Every time you do that, it's awesome. So might not be talking about the 1950s content you're yanking out, but uh, <laughs> uh, there's good stuff nonetheless, for sure. Where do we go, my friend, knowing that we have two categories left to choose from? Let's go for general. Hey, general. It seems like it's been a while. It does. It does. Uh, okay. Nick Dovniak, how you doing, my man? Uh, he says, hey. what makes a road car more suited for one set of GT regulations than, say, another? He says, for example, GT3 versus GT4, Graham. I recall when the newest Toyota Super came out, E2 commentated that it was more suitable for GT4 than GT3, but it's also the base for the Toyota GT500 car. Is it just size, weight, engine size? Assuming you would need to do lots of modifications anyways to a road model to get it homologated, what drives the choice of rules you choose to follow? That's a great question, isn't it? The GT500 thing I'll cover off really quickly. That is simply a marketing thing. Uh, there is a fine history of the Toyota Supra in uh, Japanese GT racing, um, and this is at the moment the Halo model they want to present to the wider public. You can have to excuse, by the way, in the background there is a kettle boiling. That's a kettle boiling because uh, Lordy and I, Dave Lord, my business partner, and I, and Daily Sports Car are burning the midnight oil for something a little bit special tomorrow morning. Oh, the police are back again. They're, they're, they're not happy about they the kettle They are just. I'm just saying. Sh- well, you claim it to be <laughs> a, a you're trying to get a, a pot boiling for a cup of something. We don't know what. So yeah. When that matters, a cup of tea has to come. So that's the reason for the GT500 car. Uh, that's not really playing to the same rules. The rest of it generally tends to, uh, to focus around opportunity as well as the the, um, the mechanical package. In the case of the Toyota Supra, it's really not at a level that would be appropriate for a GTE car. It would be struggling to get with its it's allotted um, mechanical package to GT3 uh, level. GT4 was really where it's at. You have got other cars that rather straddle it. So we have, for instance, got GT4 versions of both the Audi R8 and the uh, AMG GT. So GT4 and GT3 versions of both of those cars uh, actually exist. So there's not really a hard and fast rule. I think it's there's two or three things. One is... Can they fit the performance window comfortably by either being enhanced or reeled in? Um, the second part of it is absolutely led by marketing. 
um, what do the customer racing departments of the big manufacturers believe um, are the most attractive models in their marketplace? And frankly, on the road car side, which are the models that they are happy with their motorsport colleagues to play with? Uh, so there's all sorts of reasons behind it. Uh, it's the presence and absence of regulations that define that. What do I mean by that? Uh, in GTE, it is the presence of regulations. In other words, you have to be able to fit the performance window. In the case of GT3, it's the absence of technical regulations. So in other words, there's all sorts of things you can do. I present uh, the case of the prosecution, Your Honor, um, as being the BMW Z4 GT3 and later the BMW Z4 GTLM, uh, which featured a dual of a V8 engine. I would say in front of the uh, the court as well, Your Honour, uh, I believe the last proper GT car that BMW actually produced before we went back to uh, saloon cars with fewer doors, or in the case of the uh, soon-to-be, well, we've now seen it, the M4 GT3, um, the car with the ugliest face. I think we've seen this side of a hillbilly family wedding. Um, it's... It's sad, but uh, the GT3 uh, regulations allow a course for an alternative drivetrain to be fitted as long as it comes from within that model range. Um, so in the case of uh, the uh, GT3 side of things, it's the availability of a package that, one, can look like a road car that they want to sell to, that, that uh, looks like a race car that the customer racing people believe they can sell, and three, can be made competitive either out of the box or through balance of performance. That, that's sort of it. would say, Nick, the pretty easy approach to this is if you have a road car model that needs to be dialed down in terms of performance, those tend to be the cars that we find in the faster categories. On rare occasion, very rare occasion, do we have a car that would need to be dialed up in terms of performance, mostly engine performance, but dialed up with power to compete in that class. So that's kind of the divining rod. That's why we look at the Supra, for example, the road car, not something that hits the rough 500-plus horsepower mark easily in any way. If we're talking whether it be GTLM or GT3, a little bit easier to fit into that GT4 category, though. That's a little bit closer to home to its natural horsepower output. But by and large, if you're looking at what makes one model a faster class GT fit than the others in just about every instance it's a case of having to dial back the power you will find that's the rule you find in almost every instance it really does make it somewhat easy to go aha that's why this manufacturer has chosen gt4 for their car compared to trying to do something on a bigger scale in gt3 or gtlm um which Hagen Arals you think you might want to throw at me, Graham, before we head to fun and then say farewell? And somebody hit the mute button on his end. Three, two, one. I'm leaving it in. I'm not cutting. I'm uh, done cutting. 
Yeah, that was me trying to keep the kettle quiet. Um, Dan Rice says, hi, Dan. And that's, that, I think it's a new name. Um, I don't remember Dan. Yeah, as it's been in the world for a little while. But um, in our show, well, I'm sure there are plenty of Dan Rices in the world. But in our show, um, could be new, maybe. We'll see. But a general question. With F1 having announced the final four race of the year, I feel like they did a fair... A fairly good job playing the cards that were dealt by COVID. This is uh, around sports car racing's response. Uh, combination of double headers. Uh, this is for Formula One, Austria, Silverstone, High Rocky, uh, Bahrain, and tracks that weren't originally on the set of schedule. Imola, Nürburgring, Turkey, Portimao, Mugello. Uh How would you guys rate your respective sporty car racing series on how they reorganized their calendars for 2020 do you want to take a crack at that for uh, stateside before i have a word or two for uh, my french friends i thought we already got the words in on the french friends but maybe there's more maybe there's more ammo left to fire i would say they did a very able job dan we've yeah i i don't know if know if any of this stuff is really going to be things that we remember a year from now in terms of who did uh the good jobs i think that's just going to be a well it was weird and bad and they made the most out of what they could but no one was ever going to be very happy i think the only ones that'll stand out are the ones where we go what were you doing did you truly just bring in monkeys with darts and wherever they threw and whatever it hit, uh, that's where you were going. I can't think of too many instances of that across all forms of motor racing. If we're talking IMSA, even World Challenge here, SRO Americas. They've been pretty inventive in trying to find places to go to and get races in. So I don't have much in the way of negatives to offer, at least what's gone down here in stateside, Graham. What about you from your end? I'm... I'm going to be really clear. I'm not going to offer criticism of anybody involved in um, what I can't imagine a worse scenario if you're trying to pull together and keep together a meaningful calendar. There's there's one criticism I will level, and it's a it's a it's a subsidiary thing. But in terms of the job of coming up with a plan A, having a plan B and a plan C in the background. I think they've done as well as is possible. I know it doesn't feel that way if you're a fan that has had plans for a trip to Le Mans exploded, but they hung on in there as long as they possibly could. Everybody was hoping that the the reality of the crisis, the political pressures that apply to the crisis, for that matter, the media pressures that apply to the crisis, which has a knock-on effect in terms of the viability of these organisations, that they would go away a lot earlier than they have done. So I'm not going to offer a criticism on that at all, is a straight answer. I do think that a large number of people in this sport everywhere need to take a good, hard look at one aspect of their package and that is beyond more honest with themselves and with their audiences about just what level of customer support they're supplying to the teams. Um, on that front, I think more could be done. I'm probably going to get an earful for saying that out loud uh, in the next 24 hours. Don't care. I'm right. It's a straight answer. If I'm being told uh, by multiple teams in multiple countries 
proper to multiple championships that the phone just ain't ringing and we know that you've not got answers to the questions that they've got but actually what they want to know is that we are all in this together that is a lesson that can and should be learned this should be a collegiate effort to survive and thrive and there have been times through this where it hasn't felt like that to some people in the game and that's not acceptable when we're talking about the the amount of money that's on the table if nothing else at all that's the one thing i'd say as for organizing the calendar I'm not going to criticise anybody for doing anything close to a workmanlike job in an area where I would have had the first clue how to deal with what has been a catalogue of freight trains of disaster and tsunami-like shit fight. Hashtag um, monkeys with darts. Yes, awful. I mean, just awful. And it and it here's the here's the thing. It's not over yet. Okay. This has got a way to go. I'm not going to say this is a new normal because some people don't like that, okay? But there is a degree of truth that some of those challenges are going to be long-lasting. And we're going to have to deal with that. And my advice to anybody listening is please, please, please find it within yourself to be as constructive as you possibly can in circumstances where perhaps it is making you individually unhappy um, let's not have our sports tarnished in the same way that our politics has become through those kinds of arguments and game playing literally being played uh, over these things. Um, by the way, I'm not pointing the finger at one country. Uh, and if, frankly, if I was, it might, it might just be my own. Um, but, you know, I'm afraid there are multiple places around the world right now where electorates know what I'm talking about. Let's not have our sports become like our politics, please. Yeah. All right. Two more questions. One of them is from Lance Snyder, who asks, where have you guys been? You know what, Lance? I'd ask the same of you, pal. We might not have where recorded have the last couple of weeks, but we've been here. Where have you been? Okay. Yeah, you've been. I mean... I did I didn't see you downloading the show we didn't do, Lance. See? Yet again, Snyder. Failure yeah. on your part. Oh, man. I'm telling you. This guy here. Yeah. Uh, Trevor Gagola says, hey, yeah. it's Trevor from the Men Who Love Broccoli Club. We pulled back Excellent. the cover on that on the uh, last episode, didn't we? Uh, it's not <laughs> quite QAnon, but it's in the same general area broccoli is involved though so i'm glad i'm glad uh trevor popped up maybe we'll see him with a shirt with a big b on it and a little head of broccoli kind of letting the world know that he's from a b anon you know but we, hey we're accepting all all people <laughs> all ideologies uh yeah there we go uh, yeah he says question specifically on hypercars after seeing the glickenhaus 007 and other hypercar renderings is there any concern about these cars looking so similar to the regular GT cars that it could cause more of on-track confusion between marshals and blue flags? Drivers looking in their mirrors and thinking of GT cars behind them uh, instead of a proper hypercar. Any other issues you can think of? I would say, and hopefully this doesn't add another layer to being on on the Reddit uh, group there, I don't think so. Trevor, for one pretty simple reason, 
while we have prototypes that certainly look like prototypes because the difference in the cockpit, if you just are driving a GT car, look in your mirror, you can tell. You might not know every single entry, but you can just tell the very basics that, oh, that is not a full-width cabin that we would find on a regular GT car. It does look like a little half eggshell sitting in the middle. That's a prototype. To my knowledge, that's going to be significantly retained with what we see with the hypercars. So I'm not saying they will all look like that because we don't know how many, who's all building what Graham and what they're going to look like when they're finally produced. But my guess is there will be enough prototypey carryover uh, with some of the general cockpit layouts that that might not be too hard to discern even if by chance that wasn't the case all the hypercars looked had the same full width uh cockpit like the gt cars would say the one thing that folks are good at differentiating marshals in particular using andy blackmore spotter guides of course um but just the good old eye test and even drivers uh liveries tend to be the thing that jump out and help folks realize what's what who's who if we go back graham to the thing of say uh ferrari 488 gte versus i know they're no longer running but say a ford gt strip those into bare carbon just paint them black and if you're trying to spot them in a mirror or if you have the rear facing camera uh that you're observing while racing it might be a little bit hard to differentiate that Ferrari from that Ford just painted all black because they're just very similar looking vehicles. You apply that Ford factory livery or whatever AF course or you name it. These are often the ways where a driver or marshal can say, aha, this is the thing. So maybe not so much the actual shape, but often the colors are the things that make things pop and allow folks to differentiate. Uh, the other thing you've got to remember is as part of the hypercar rules, uh, the, the car horn uh, obviously has to play a particular tune. And I believe that uh, the hypercar tune is going to be, what's the name of the tune for the, uh, the hooter on the Dukes of Hazard Dodge? It's that. So if you hear that, <laughs> you know it's a hypercar. Yeah, I like that. Uh... That'd be fun. The Hegenerau Lee, for sure. Yes. Sorry. Uh, yes. I think we, we need to move on really quickly, don't we? Yeah, we do. I'm going to get eaten by the cats if I don't hurry up here. So, General? Just about done. I, mean, I just want to run really quickly uh, past one. Jeff Easterling, do I feel or do we feel... Uh, the track date hypercar boom of the past decade, the Aston Martin Vulcan for our FXX, Honda R, the McLaren P1 GTR, Lamborghini Senza, as in some ways replaced what might have otherwise been traditional efforts within a modern GT1-style top class. Have these cars, given the OEMs, have cake, eat to solution. Um, yeah, but in a sort of a different way. It, it's Those programs are kind of similar but different. 
the similar bit is probably the performance of the cars. The different bit is they're not racing, uh, which means that those manufacturers can actually make money from those cars. And in most cases, will hang on to those cars and run those cars for their wealthiest customers. So they found a whole different uh, league of opportunity to squeeze money out of uh, those kinds of guys. It's not dramatically different, by the way, to the marketing um, angle that SRO have got with their GT2 cars. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're looking to attract, if you like, those guys from top end, can't really call those cars track date cars, but track only cars into some form of competition racing. Um, would we have a GT1 class? In different circumstances, the reality is that GT1 really withered on the vine. I'm afraid by the last the last knockings of the last decade and struggling into um, this one. Um, so and the reality too is that GT1 levels of performance are not a million miles to, uh, uh, away from where GTLM and GTE Pro is now. So things moved on. It's a it's a fair point. Did they put some of their engineering now into that? Did they transfer a um, cost uh, base into a profit base? Yeah, I think they probably did. You've got to say congratulations for that. But unfortunately, it means the likes of you and I don't get to see those fantastic cars racing anymore. <laughs> Sad, really. Yeah. I'm going to move to fun. Sure. You read words <laughs> to me. Okay, well, let's go. This one, it's from uh, SRA Smoking Puppy 841. As NASCAR are approaching their throwback weekend, this one's passed me by. Is this throwback liveries? Yes, they do it each year, one event. Oh, do they? Maybe huh. they do more. I don't know, but it, I seem to think it being one. Huh. I was wondering whether you'd like to see something similar for WEC. Hashtag me personally. It could be fun, but as someone who isn't a huge fan of one-off throwback liveries, I'd give it a miss. I, I like tribute liveries. I don't know about you, but I like tribute liveries. I think they've been a, you know, a big plus. Um, not sure there's been that many more I particularly want to see very much of. Martini. Martini. <laughs> Golf. Hey, there we go. You know, let, let's go deep. We're going deep into the archives here. Yeah, uh, let's 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 do that. The, 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 pro- the, the problem is commonality of sponsor to uh, all too often, isn't it? But uh, Porsche have done a fantastic job in recent years of it, as have others. Would I want to see a one-off? You know, the, the time to do this would be when you've got something to mark. Now they've, they've had the fiftieth WC race. Um, maybe the next one is the seventy-fifth. But this is the uh, big question, though, Graham. Is it? throwback weck liveries because weck hasn't been around very long so for you know uh eight we're in at the moment so yes who's gonna do the uh gas monkey garage energy drink throwback lmp2 ben keating car i don't know uh who's gonna do (laughs) again i don't i'm just thinking out loud so do we expand this uh, to all sporty cars, or is it truly a whack throwback? I think I think the answer is it's only likely to happen if there's a good handle for it. Um, and I can't think what that handle might be, 
the seventy fifth race or the hundredth race. Seventy fifth race will come in twenty twenty two. because sixty four was sparse, so sixty six will be Bahrain. There will be six races next season. That much we we believe we know. Um, so that will be 72 at the end of 2021. So uh, 75, you know what? The 75th race could actually be uh, the 2022 Le Mans 24 hours. I, here's my idea. And it's openly submitted like every idea that I submit as a terrible one that no one should <laughs> do. So I would submit Graham that we have a WEC throwback livery weekend. We expand it beyond the WEC, obviously. Hasn't been around long yep. enough to generate true throwback stuff to all forms of European sports car racing. But we need to do anti-brand throwbacks. So we mentioned, I mentioned Martini. So you can do something along the Martini theme, but not Martini itself, the rule is you have to find the most gut bucket, low rent, cheapest <laughs> rival against the brand at that time. White, so white light cider. It, it totally, you know, ripple. Just some yep. sort of 99 cents. You're fairly convinced that it's actually just gasoline and st- someone stuck in a, like a lemon wedge to give it a little bit of something. So the Ferrari, the Ferrari four eight eight GT bought bought to you by Tesco's own brand vodka, hundred percent. So Golf, right? Golf oil, Golf uh, petrol, and such. What's the worst, lamest European uh, service station to drive into? Uh, competing brand against Golf that you could yeah. do that livery. Yeah, it'd be at, it would probably be Morrison's supermarket uh, fuel station. <laughs> The Morrison's Supermarket Fuel Station, uh, Aston Martin Vantage. So these are the things that we need, right? So you think about the famous Rothman cigarette livery. What's the what's the cheapest thing? It, there's actually no tobacco in it. It's just one long filter, right? Like yeah. that brand. <laughs> so we <laughs> we need to come up with the anti-famous livery throwback weekend. Hopefully our listeners can send in submissions. The vape pop-up store in Amal, Orica, that one. (laughs) 100%. Uh, So, yeah, yeah, uh, that's my idea for, uh, yeah. So, again, I told you it's bad. They're all bad. Great one. I can't wait to see what we come up with for the Jurex. (laughs) The Declan Brennan body condom. Uh, Yes. Oh my gosh! Sorry, Jack. Uh, so we have a lot of we have a lot of questions that we didn't initially get to this week because again we'd be doing this forever if we did because we've got um, many weeks of stuff to get through. Uh, Jose Tapia, you mentioned what happened to the jingles between segments. Eh, I got bored with them. They might come back at some point in time. Um, Let's see. Uh, Oh, Rob Chalmers asking, can we have some form of hashtag BOPenis on the question askers? Maybe a precious metal-based ranking system to stop Daniel Summersgill running away with a victory every week. See, Daniel? I mean, there's jealousy and hatred already. You you know, you pass yourself off as a super silver. 
you're truly a platinum. We know. We know. Uh, what else can we do uh, here? Uh, I mean, uh, there's, one, there's one I would like to finish with, okay? And it's Jose Tapia's other question, which I'm going to leave you with, um, which I'd like to finish with that one. Please. Should we finish with that one now? Whatever you uh, want. Jose, Jose asks, how did you find or acquire your pets? Do you want to go first or second on this? <sighs> you go or something the the goodwin household has three furry friends two buddy tets and one very large husky dog um in a of all of our pets have been rescue pets uh the two cats uh the dsc cat hashtag dsc cat aka tango now 14 years old ginger and white uh we originally had tango uh we had her from Eight weeks old, she came with her mum, who sadly passed away quite young with a tumour. And my wife still cries when she thinks about her because she was a lovely girl. Uh, But uh, Tango is the top animal in the house. She was a rescue kitten and she's very excellent, um, but does look a bit scruffy because she has no tear ducts. It means her face is often a bit... uh, um, you know, stained, if you like. Uh, the other cat is my daughter's cat. His name is Bear. Uh, he's uh, also known as DSC Cat Stunt Double because he's another ginger and white cat. He is a massively bad-tempered little bastard um, and is just as likely to actually scratch or bite you as to let you tickle his chin. Uh, but he was a rescue cat from the RSPCA. Uh, hashtag DSC Dog, hashtag very good boy. Um, a.k.a. Oscar, the husky, um, a recent addition to the household, uh, came to us just under a year ago, four-year-old, 32-kilo husky, and is absolutely fantastic. Um, Someone put time into him, well-trained, beautiful manners, gets on well with uh, adults, children, and other dogs, but I'm afraid was badly treated by his last owners he was beaten and beaten quite badly he was left uh, to starve by his last owners and mercifully uh, their neighbours realised that was what was going on and did something about it, God bless them they are his other family, he goes to stay with them if we are away and loves them dearly, Um, they just can't look after him in the same way that Trudy and I can um, but uh, so Oscar, who is the most glorious addition to our family, um, I'm afraid is another rescue animal. And that's the way I'll finish mine, which is if you are thinking about a family pet, go and find a rescue. Please do that because there are a huge number of fantastic pets just waiting for a family to love them. There are a few things in life, Graham that make me want to beat human beings more than learning that they have beaten animals. And I know I'm not alone in that. That's not meant to sound cool or tough or anything. Just that's my immediate response. You have a dog or a cat or whatever that in its stock stance is built to love and be a companion and just yep. be nothing but a really warm, beautiful thing in your life, and beating it and beating that spirit out of that animal, it, it just makes truly 
There's oh, yeah. no filter here. I want to kill human beings <laughs> that do that. Yep, and that's like- just straight admission of truth. So, yeah, luckily with our cats, they were both uh, brought home as babies before anyone could try and do anything like that. My wife uh, here in our ta- the town we live in would go to uh, have acupuncture done on a weekly basis. The nice lady that performed the acupuncture mentioned that they had brought in a uh, female cat who was pregnant and just living out wild, and she gave birth to a litter of little kittens that she was keeping sometimes in the in her little business in a cage, and not a small cage, but just kind of cats in a cage was just a weird look it's like a bird cage almost um and apparently there was this little runty one who was sneezing a lot and whatever having a little bit of respiratory stuff and my wife decided that we were going to bring him home and he was a little bit cross-eyed at the time uh here at whatever two three weeks old and i guess his cross-eyedness made her think of Sylvester Stallone's character in the movie Rocky. So she named him Rocky. And we had to take him to the vet many times and get him a lot of uh, multiple, multiple antibiotic shots. Uh, he was sneezing, like he would sneeze, and not to gross anyone out, but like he'd sneeze near something and then there'd be like green goo and it's like oh little guy you are really not coming into this world in a happy way so we got rocky as a companion for our first cat that we got sasha uh she died in 2013 so we got rocky i think around 2012 and she was getting to be a little bit older a little bit crankier just wanted to give her a companion and she did not cotton on to Rocky in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> she couldn't stand him. And so he's just like, you know, a baby, little happy tail, and boy, look at you, and you're one of me, and let's be buddies. And she'd just smack him. <laughs> just yeah, He'd yeah, walk up close like, and just yeah. poof, rub side of the head, and he'd be like, what the hell's going on here? Um, so they never, they never really got along. But uh, we just loved that little guy a bunch. Sasha didn't last too much longer. She got very sick and died. But... Um, so Rocky, uh, he's been my guy, right? Since I work from home, home office, when I'm not traveling, um, and my wife being at work uh, every day, obviously prior to what we've been dealing with, just grew up at home with me. And so that's my little guy. Love him to death. And he's such a little fart. But, you know, his per- my personality and his might be a slight match. And then a couple of years, actually not a couple, I think one year, two years later, Uh, Not too much long after Sasha died, uh, decided that Rocky, whose personality demands some sort of companionship, that he needed uh, a buddy. And so we got uh, got Rosie, and yeah, she runs his, she's two years younger and runs him around. So it's, (laughs) I mean, you might have heard them tearing around behind us. She's chasing him up and down all over the place. And, they have a really beautiful little relationship. So the photos of these two curled up, snuggled up uh, each day and whatnot, it just melts your heart. So we're closing our show talk about sports cars and machines and endurance, talking about 
putty tats and puppy dogs. <laughs> um, and you know what? This is a hundred percent me. It's a hundred percent you, Graham. Yep. We make no apologies for this. Uh, if you're listening this far, you know us and you know that we're highly flawed and hopefully you accept that because we accept our flaws and don't care. So there you go. Um, I think you need to take us home, my friend. Well, it's good to be back. It's a straight answer. Racing again this weekend uh, down in the south of France. And I hope we'll be bringing another week in sports cars early next week to round up all the action there. For now, late in the evening here in the south of France, just south of Lyon, and at home in the United States from Marshall Pruitt. Uh, and with thanks to our good friends at Cooper Tires, um, the one American tire company endorsed by the government, apparently, um, from the uh, wonderful people at the Justice Brothers, Bell Helmets USA and TorontoMotorsports.com. He has been Marshall Pruitt. I've been Graham Goodwin. This has been Week in Sports Cars, and we will, we promise, speak to you next week. You better be here, Lance. Not kidding around this time. <laughs>